heard a story not too long ago, well, it's been a while, but about an older gentleman who was gone down to the Florida Keys to do some sightseeing and he was staying in a hotel. He wanted to, to kind of ride around that area and just enjoy the beauty of God's creation. So he rented a bicycle, but he wasn't very good at getting directions or his directional sense. Some of you, uh, anybody else struggle with that in here? Anybody else married to someone in here like that, but who didn't raise their hand? <clears throat> he got lost and he realized he was hopelessly lost. Pretty soon, uh, he just stopped his bicycle. He put his head down on his handlebars and he began to pray that God would intervene and he'd be able to find his way home before it got too late. And so just about that time, a Corvette pulled up and said, um, Hey, what's wrong? He said, well, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. He's like, well, where are you staying? He said, I'm staying at this hotel. And the guy said, well, why don't I give you a ride? And the guy thought, well, how am I going to get a ride in a Corvette when I have to take back this bicycle? That doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, no problem. He said, uh, I've got a rope. We'll just tie uh, the rope to the back of my bumper and to your bicycle, and I'll just pull you back. And the guy thought, you know, I don't have any other options. And so he agreed to do that. He tied a rope to his bicycle and to the Corvette. And as the Corvette's getting ready to pull away, he says, hey, by the way, if I'm going too fast, just yell beep, beep, and I'll slow down. And the guy thought, well, that, that sounds pretty good. So it was a long way back to the hotel. And finally, when they get back to the edge of town, they pulled up to a stoplight. And wouldn't you know that right beside them pulled up a Ferrari. And the Ferrari kind of revved its engine and looked over at the guy in the Corvette. And the guy in the Corvette smiled and revved his engines back again. And the guy on the bicycle, the older gentleman on the bicycle thought, dear God, what is happening? When the light turned green, both tires of both vehicles began to spin out, to peel out, and they were off, all three of them. And um, later on, the guy made it back to the hotel. He was, you know, obviously flabbergasted, or flabbergasted, yeah, that word, and frustrated and flustered, and, um, but he was okay. At the same time he's getting back to his hotel, there was a police officer in the local station talking to a friend of his, and he's like, you're never going to believe what I just saw. And the guy said, what did you just see? And he said, well, there, were, there was a Corvette and a Ferrari that lost me on Main Street doing 120 miles an hour. And a uh, police officer friend said to him, what's so weird about that? That happens all the time down here. He said, well, the weird thing was there was an old guy on the bicycle behind him yelling, beep, beep, and trying to pass. Have you ever had terrifying moments, moments that you know are those moments that will make or break or determine the trajectory of your life? Have you ever had a moment when you feel like you're on the back of a bicycle behind a Corvette going hundred miles an hour, but you don't know where you're going and you're wondering, can I trust this course? Am I going to be okay? How am I going to survive the chaos before me? Because I feel so lost and vulnerable And I don't know if I can trust God in this moment. Have you had that moment? Have you wondered? Can I trust God in this moment? In 1949, 
a guy you've probably never heard of, a man by the name of Billy Graham, found himself in one of those moments. He was up walking in the San Bernardino Mountains in California. Uh, The next day he was going to be launching his first crusade in Los Angeles. He wasn't sure how it was going to go. He just knew that he felt like that's what God had called him to do. But recently, Billy Graham's best friend, a guy by the name of Charles Templeton, who was a fantastic communicator and evangelist who was pastoring one of the first mega churches in American history, had changed his mind about God. And Charles Templeton decided that God was not someone that he could trust anymore. And he went to Billy and he said, Billy, your faith in Jesus is archaic. And your reliance on the Holy Scriptures are out of touch. No one believes the Scriptures today are legitimate. And so Billy Graham that night was walking in the mountains and he was talking to God. He believed in God. He believed in the divinity of Jesus. But he didn't know if he could trust the word of God to be authentic and true. And if he couldn't trust the word of God, he didn't know if he could follow the word of God. And he didn't know where that left him on this precipice the day before he was going to launch his first crusade. He had no idea that that crusade would launch him into worldwide recognition and the ability to reach millions and millions of people. All he knew is at that moment, he didn't know if he could trust God. Have you been in that place? Are you in that place today? And finally, after talking with God for hours, Billy Graham got down on his knees, clutching his Bible in his hands. And he said, Lord, I don't know the answer to my questions, but today I am choosing to trust you in your word. And friends, that trust and that faith propelled him into one of the greatest journeys of his life. Terrifying moments, moments of indecision, moments of having a crisis of faith. Have you been there? Do you know him? Are you there today? Once you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to be going through chapters 4, 5, and 6 a little bit this morning. Um, And I'd love for you to bring your Bibles or in your mobile devices, finding them. Use your Bible or your mobile device to look up Scripture. It will help you become familiar so that when you're doing your studies on your own, you're more familiar with with what's going on and, and, and how to do that and how to find what you're looking for. But last week, we left Moses... In a very difficult situation. By the way, this message today that I'm talking about, my God is Yahweh, my name is Yahweh. My dad preached at Adventure Christian Church where we're going to be going, um, starting our new ministry next week. But if you want to go online, listen to my dad's message. It's a little bit different than my message today, but it is such a fantastic study that I hope you'll go and listen to what his take is on this passage. But anyway, we listened to uh, 
Last week we saw Moses and Zipporah uh, come to a fork in the road and what God was asking them about was commitment. Are you going to be all in or are you going to be all out? And Moses was kind of straddling the fence between these two positions and he had not circumcised his son yet according to the covenant that God had given to Abraham, his forefathers, yet he was going to free the Hebrew nation, the children of Abraham. And God said, you need to decide if you're all in or all out because God doesn't want there to be any indecision in your faith journey because where he wants to take you He needs to know that you're going to follow even when it doesn't make sense. I mean, it kind of reminds me what Jesus says to John in the revelation that Jesus gave to him when he said, I know all the things you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were on one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And Moses stood on the precipice of his life and looked into the abyss and had to make a choice. And as I read that text last week in my mind's eye, because you know, when I, I hear things, do you hear, do you hear things when you're reading stuff and you kind of have this inner dialogue that's going on? When I was reading this last week, all I could be reminded of was the great Indiana Jones talking to that old crusader and the crusader says, you must choose wisely. And I'm thinking, Moses, you better choose wisely because it ain't going to be good if you don't. But Moses and his wife together, together, together chose wisely. They decided to be all in and it's the tipping point of their journey. God had wired Moses with everything he would need. He had gifted him in order to follow him and to, uh, and to, to follow him into this mission and to be a leader and to be, uh, uh, the savior of the people through his power. But he had to know, are you all in? Or are you all out? You need to decide one or the other. And last week we saw that God established this commitment, th- this culture of commitment and being all in when it comes to following him. And then we see the text shift dramatically. Moses had escaped the wrath of God, not to mention death, because his wife intervenes in possibly the most pivotal moment of his life and leads the way for their family in that moment. And then something interesting happens. We're not going to hear about Zipporah, his wife, for several chapters. In fact, the next thing that we read of her is in Exodus chapter 18, when we're told that at some point Moses sends her and her and their boys back home to her father, Jethro. And then we read in, in Exodus chapter 18 that after Jethro learns of the victory that God gave to Moses in the people of the Hebrew nation, that they'd come out of Egypt, that he takes Moses' family back to him again and they're with him from that time forward now most scholars that i've read and commentators believe that this is the moment after moses has uh overcome the death that was facing him and zipporah steps in that zipporah and the boys decide that he sends them back to jethro for safekeeping 
Can you imagine facing God, facing death, knowing that you were this close to losing it all and you had your wife and your sons with you and now you've chosen to send them back and you're going on this great adventure, this great mission to do God's leading and now you are painfully aware that you are alone. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like you've been called to something and God hasn't sent anybody else, that you're the only one that, that is isolated, that other people have partners or family, and here you are trying to follow God and you feel that you're by yourself? Have you been in that place? Sometimes you can be in a crowd of people and still feel alone. God has just challenged Moses But in his moment of need, now God is going to bless Moses. Verse 27 says this of chapter 4. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Moses went and met Moses. um, So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God and he embraced him. Now, remember, we, this whole series is about the Moses mosaic, right? It's about how the small pieces of the puzzle make the greater picture. And maybe you're holding a piece in your hand right now, and you think as you look at your piece that this is your lot in life, that this is the only thing that's going on, and you're not sure how God is going to put this together because all you can see is your heartache and your challenges and the obstacles in front of you, and you don't know what God's going to do through you yet. You don't know how the rest of the story is going to play out, but God does. And friends... Taking your puzzle piece and knowing that your future is secure, not because of the things that you have done, not because of your power, not because of your intelligence, not because of, of, of the things that you have going on in your life, but because God is for you and our future is assured through him and through Jesus Christ. And that's where our hope is. You can take that journey. Sometimes we forget that God is working in more than just our life. He's working in multiple lives on multiple fronts and in multiple situations simultaneously. The first time I went to Israel was in 1997. I told my grandpa Hargrave, who was 77 at that time, grandpa, there's only two things I want from you. Um, I want you to take me to Israel and I want you to do my wedding. I thought I could maybe play, you know, God a little bit because my grandpa was ready to go home. And he's like, okay. So he and my dad and I went. Little did we know that he'd have to live for another, you know, 15 years or so because I had troubles getting married. Anyway, we're in Israel. Uh, It was such a great week. We had a journal that we wrote in together. My dad, my grandpa, and myself still have that to this day. But, um... As our tour bus got to the Jordan River, we got out and Egal was our guide and he looked like Peter Sellers. But Egal told us a story. He said, now, according to Jewish tradition, when the Hebrew nation got to the Jordan River after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they were getting ready to cross over. And we read in our text that when they stepped into the water with the Ark of the Covenant, the trumpets, the waters receded and they walked across on dry land. You guys are familiar with that story. Yep, we are. He said, but according to Jewish tradition, this is what happened. God was preparing the way for the Hebrew nation long before they got there. And he had sent beavers upstream to create dams so that at just the right time when they arrived there, that the waters would have already receded. Now, I don't know if Egal was correct or not, but I know that this principle is correct and true and scriptural. It's that God works upstream. 
He's always working upstream. He's working upstream in your life right now. You can't see it. You don't know about it. But at some point, things are going to come together and you're going to realize that God is with you and that he is working behind the scenes and in the lives of other people so that at just the right time, when you are at your greatest moment of need, God is going to show up in ways that you don't expect because God is working upstream in the lives of others. At the same time, he's working upstream in your life. And when you least expect it and when you need it most, there he'll be. Now, the Lord had said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. I've always had this question. How did Aaron get out of Egypt? I mean, wasn't he a slave too? Wasn't he in bondage? Didn't I mean, he's 83 years old. But what is he doing wandering around the Sinai Peninsula at that time? Wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. It's one of the questions I'm going to ask Aaron when I get to heaven. But this is what I know. When Moses is struggling the most, after the most harrowing experience of his life with God, God sends Moses a friend and a brother. And when God meets Aaron and tells him to go on this road and meet your brother Moses, Aaron goes. Because God is never working in a singularly fashion. He's working on multiple fronts and in multiple lives simultaneously to bring about his good purposes. Because God is the master author. And someday your story will intersect with someone else's story at just the right time. Because God is always working upstream. Verse 28 says, Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Can you imagine seeing his brother coming up that path, running to his brother? We don't know if it's been 40 years since he's seen his brother. Has it been two weeks? We're not told. All that we're told is that God sent Aaron and God sent Moses and God brought them together. And when they see each other, they run to each other, embrace because they are so grateful for the company of the other person and somebody that they trust and love and who will walk on that journey with them. Can you imagine? Moses, I just had this amazing encounter with God. Really? So did I. Let me tell you what God told us that we are supposed to do or what I'm supposed to do. And he told me he's going to send you with him. We're going to do this together, bro. I can say that because they're brothers. Friends, this is what I know. Challenges are best faced with a friend. Now, you may feel alone or you may be a widow or widower or you may have gone through a divorce or you may have lost the love of your life or a relational disaster. But this is what I know. God is not slow in bringing his community together. And if you feel alone in your journey today, this is a great place for you to connect because we all need relationships and we all need each other. And friends, all of us are traveling a similar type journey together. And so this is where you need to connect. This is where you need friendships. And if you need help building those friendships, you can serve. That is the best way to get to know other people. Be a greeter. Be at the the welcome center. Come and and be a camera operator. Get to know the worship team. Because the reality is, is none of us were created to do life alone. And we need each other. And so God has provided a platform for you to build those relationships today. And who knows what he's going to do in the future. 
But I do know that we were created to do life together. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Then we read, Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Don't miss this. They went to Egypt together. And then who spoke to the elders of, of the Hebrew nation? Aaron. Aaron did. Now understand that Moses was a gifted speaker. No, regardless of the excuses he makes to God, we read in Acts chapter 7 that he was powerful in speech and action. He was a leader. He was influential. He had the ability to get other people on board. He'd learned at the greatest schools. He had been a commander of an army. Uh, he was next in line to be Pharaoh possibly. He knew how to speak. But God calls Aaron in this journey to speak to the people on behalf of Moses and on behalf of God. Now, I can't prove why this is, but let me just tell you why I think this is. Moses could have spoken to the elders as easily as Aaron. But Moses was not necessarily a known commodity. I mean, he'd been prince of Egypt. He'd spent years on the number one most, as number one on the most wanted list of Pharaoh. He had been a failure. But one thing we do know is he'd been gone for 40 years. But friends, the elders knew Aaron. He'd grown up with them. They knew Aaron's family. He knew how to communicate to the elders. He spoke their lingo. He shared a common past. He was like Jenny from the block going back to the block. Too far? Okay. But Moses still has to prove to them that God is working through him and called him to do something great and to lead them to freedom. And so Moses performs the signs that God told him to perform before the elders and before Pharaoh. And when they saw the signs is what we read. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. And that must have been a beautiful moment for Aaron and Moses. I mean, Moses had wanted this moment and this reaction 40 years earlier when he was prince of Egypt. And when he killed the Egyptian, he thought he was going to lead a revolution. He thought that God was saying, now is your time. And after 40 years as leading sheep, he's now back in his home city where he was born with his brothers standing before God's people and before his relatives. And when they tell them what has happened and show them the signs, they bowed and worshiped and they knew that God had called Aaron and Moses. What an incredible moment in their life. A moment filled with hopes and dreams because God was moving, obviously. <laughs> and then we get to chapter five. I hate chapter five. I'm going to summarize it for you because I don't like to, to dwell here. But in chapter 5, we read that God sends them to Pharaoh. And this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival in my honor and wilderness. But verse 2 of chapter 5 is so important to our story. Because Pharaoh retorted, is that so? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Now, friends, the question that Pharaoh asked in this text. Is the question 
that God is going to answer for every one of us this morning. Who is this God? Now, let's not forget in his day, Pharaoh was considered a God and was worshiped as a God. But out of 1,500 to 2,000 gods the Egyptians worshipped, he was the guy sitting on the throne. And he was the guy who wanted to sit on the throne of the Hebrews and the Egyptians' hearts. He didn't care about this Hebrew God who was the God of a lesser people, the God of slaves, an impotent God. Because he was God. And maybe we should ask that question today. Who is God? Whom do I serve? Whom do I worship? Whom will I follow? Because God wants to know in your heart today, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to worship? Who sits on the throne of your heart today? Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, hey, please let us go. Because if we don't, God is going to punish us. And Pharaoh says, no, end of story. And then we read in chapter 5 that he goes that very day to the overseers and slave drivers. And he says, make life difficult for these slaves. And they do. And the people groan and they cry out. And they turn on Moses and Aaron and said, life was bad before you got here. It's worse. Why did you come to us? And then in chapter 5. God has a conversation, or Moses has a conversation with God. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why? Why have you brought us all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. Can you imagine the frustration? He had left this situation 40 years earlier. He couldn't do anything then. He doesn't feel like he can do anything now. And why has God abandoned him? Why has God left him? Why has God told him to go someplace and then not fulfilled his part of the bargain? Have you been there? Have you asked why? Why have I suffered, God? Why have I had this loss? Why do I have to deal with this hurt and this pain and this frustration? Why won't you answer? Why won't you intervene? If you are God, Lord, I need you. Have you been there? This is what I know. When God calls you to a great moment in your life, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because he wouldn't have called you to it if it was a cupcake assignment. You are going into battle, friends. Read Ephesians chapter 6 when you get home. But it's through this battle that you are going to wage on behalf of God that you are going to learn to trust him. And your faith is going to grow. And you are going to be better prepared for the battles that are ahead. And friends, if you will let him, the Lord will bring others alongside of you in your journey, in your moment of need, in this, this mission that he has called you to. Because he knows your story. He's writing it. And he hasn't forsaken you or lost you or left you. This is his battle. Not yours. His reputation's on the line. Not yours. But Moses hasn't grasped this yet, right? He still thinks that he needs to do something to win this battle for God and for his people. Do you hear the heartache, heartache and frustration of Moses' words? Why, God? Why? If you have, then this moment is for you. Right here. Mark it down. Underline it. 
Hold on to it. Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do. I underline that. I emphasize that. That's for you. To Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, underline this, highlight it, friends. I am Yahweh, the Lord. Boom. Moses, this is not about you. You're just my emissary. This is not just between me and Pharaoh. Although I am going to drop the hammer on this dude. I think that's what it says in the Hebrew. In fact, he says, he thinks he's a God. But I'm telling you not now, there is only one God and it's not him. I am the God who has always been. I am the God that will always be. I am the God who knitted him together in his mother's womb. And he thinks he can stand against me and against my word and against my will. Don't despair, Moses. Just watch. Verse 3 says, God is still speaking. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. Now, this is so significant. Abraham, uh, we read in James chapter 2, that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a, what's it say? A friend of God. Are you kidding me? The guy you gave the promise to, the guy you worked miracles through, the guy who you said was going to be the father of your people, the guy who is called the father of our faith and his son and his son and the ones who have carried on that, that promise since the beginning that you made it to them. You didn't tell them your name, but yet they were your friends. You called them. They followed you. What do you mean you didn't tell them your name? Why didn't you tell them your name? Because now's the moment. Now is the moment that everyone will know my name. Why now? Why now? Friends, I don't have a great answer for that. With the others, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a journey of faith and God walked beside them and God constantly encouraged them and reminded them of the promise that he was giving to them. But friends, right now is a street fight between God and Satan. Moses and Pharaoh are just the repre representing the opposing forces. God's people are living in bondage, a million and a half people, and the enemy was claiming victory over them. And God is about to bring the hammer, and he wanted everyone to know who the one true Lord is because it's in our weakness that we find strength in him. He goes on, and I reaffirm my covenant with them under its terms. I promise to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them because our God that we cry out to, our God that sometimes we feel like the silence is deafening in response. Our God is the God who hears our prayers. Our God has not forgotten you. Our God is still listening to you. He is working upstream on your behalf, whether you know it or not, simultaneously throughout the lives of other people who are coming together for such a time as this, for his mission in you and through you. Amen. 
This is one of the defining moments in the history of humanity, friends. God is going to make five powerful statements to Moses about who he is, which is I am, right? And there's no mistaking the message that he is sharing with Moses about this battle that he is entering into. God says, I am the Lord. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Now listen, my dad, um, you need to go listen to his message, but there's a study called Christology and theology. That kind of rhymes. I, I should go into poetry, but Christology and theology in the study of Christology is the appearance of Jesus in the old Testament. When the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham to tell him that he's, that Sarah's going to become pregnant. It's Jesus before Jesus is born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary. My dad postulates, and I agree with him that in this moment, the one speaking to Moses is none other than Jesus. I am. Go back and listen to his message at Adventure Christian Church because he really works well through this. But friends, what you need to understand is today, in this moment, in your fear and in your anxiety and in your frustration and in your challenge and before the moments in your life that you feel like you have lost your purpose or you have lost your ability or God has thrown you away, you need to understand that he is still saying to you this morning, I am the Lord. And as I've said and as my wife has said throughout my time here, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And friends, what you need to understand is that God is working simultaneously in your life right now. He's working upstream. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't for, forsaken you. He has not moved away from you. You are not a throwaway. You are not worthless. You have a purpose. God needs you to, to be who he's called you to be and who he's created you to be. Your time is now because we don't know if we're going to have another moment tomorrow. So what are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your abilities and your gifts and your talents? What are you going to do with your voice and with your service? Because now is the time and friends, no matter what you're facing, you need to know that he is saying, I am the Lord. I am with you. I have not forsaken you and I will go there with you. And friends, when you feel alone, he will bring traveling companions with you because that's what God does. That's why God created his church. So don't give up. Don't don't give in to despair because the time is now and he is still moving in your life right now to accomplish the great deeds that he planned for you long ago because you are his masterpiece.
Because he is, I am. (laughs) And friends, if you feel like there's no hope today, you need to know this. That's when God does his best work. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your greatness. And I thank you that in the moments of our fear, of our stress, of our anxiety, of our, of our faltering faith, that God, you are still there, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. In our darkest hours, when we deny you, when we move away from you, you are still there waiting for us, calling us home because we are your children. And so God, today, I just pray right now that you would inspire us with hope, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would remind us of our value, that God, if we are lonely and feel lost, that you would surround us with friends and traveling companions because God, you are the God. You are I am. You saved us from our sin just as you saved the nation of Israel from slavery. You have saved us from our slavery and our change that we were bound in because of our choice to walk away from you. But it's through Jesus we have hope. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room today that needs to know of that hope and needs redemption and needs saving, Lord, let them come forward today as we sing in just a second. If there are people who are struggling, Lord, today, would you let them know that there'll be people up front who will pray with them that they can share their hearts and their fears and their anxieties and their distress and their hurts because, God, we believe you are a God who hears and we, are, we believe that you are a God who is working upstream. So guide us, Lord. Protect our hearts, our minds, strengthen our faith for we know that the best is yet to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.